Yeah, this is my life. I'm done trying to convince people I'm real. Welcome to the Road to the Olympic Trials podcast, a show dedicated to pulling back the curtain and providing you an intimate look at the training of some of America's best marathoners. Today's episode is with Roberta Groner. You're going to love this one. If you don't already know Roberta, then shoot, you're going to really love this story. She is one of America's best marathoners. She has the Olympic standard. She has run 229, and she has big goals ahead in not just the Olympic trials. So I think you're really going to love this episode with Roberta. We touch on the full gamut. We really go into her history, what she's been doing recently, as well as her vision for the future. If you haven't already listened to episode number one, That was with Parker Stinson. I encourage you to do so. Also, make sure you subscribe to this feed because you never know when the next episode is going to come out. The next couple weeks will be fairly scheduled. Uh, Monday and Friday episodes will be the norm. And then after that, it will be a little bit more, I guess, less structured because we'll basically be interviewing people whenever we can and putting out those episodes as soon as possible Because with this, we really want to touch on people uh, exactly where they are, wherever they are, and get that information to you as soon as possible. So, say someone just finishes up a race or is about to do a race, you don't want to wait three weeks to hear about it. You want to hear about it right away. So, make sure you subscribe. It's available on all podcast platforms. So, with that being said, thank you so much for listening. And here is our episode, episode number two with Roberta Groner. Hello, Roberta, and thank you for joining me. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm so excited to get this first one underway. I've been a big fan of yours for a long time. I know you've done you've done the podcast, like uh, you've kind of done all the podcasts. I've, I've heard you on a lot of them. A lot of my friends have podcasts and shows, and I've been a fan of yours. And I'll tell you what, it really is remarkable what you've done in recent years. So first of all, thank you for joining me. Thank you for being part of this project. Thank you. I'm very excited, like I said, and thank you. Yeah, I've had, I guess the last year or so, I've done quite a few podcasts. So it's uh, new to me, but very exciting to share my story too. So There you go. There you go. Well, I'll tell you what, I think there's a lot of places to start. But with this first episode with you, I do like starting from the beginning. And I think with you, the the first thing is, at least in regards to where you are now and where we're going as this show, you know, proceeds to go on towards Atlanta is, you know, your decision to attend St. Francis College, which is in Western Pennsylvania, and run there. When you were choosing colleges, Mm -hmm. what were some of the factors that you considered and how did running play a part in that decision? You know what, running didn't, I mean, running played a little part from what I recall. Um, But primarily I was, at that point, I wanted to be a physical therapist. So not too many options in Pennsylvania where you could directly get into a program as a freshman. Um, So I looked at a few schools. Um, Slippery Rock was another one, but it was a division, I don't know if it's a two or three. So, I mean, there was a little factor in there, but uh, primarily it was um, education-wise. I thought it was a good fit with what I wanted to do at that point or thought I wanted to do. and then, yeah, so then and on top of that, it was a small Division One college, so the opportunity to run against some bigger colleges, bigger names, um, it was there. Like, it was a factor, but like I said, it wasn't the primary factor. Primarily, it was physical therapy school, so. Now, were you actively recruited by several schools coming out of high school? Not, uh, 
Not necessarily. I mean, so Slippery Rock and the coach from St. Francis was looking at me, but after, I think after I had already been like applying. So actually, I don't think he, I was in the radar. Plus the program at the time was not very, even though small division one, it was not <laughs> a, um, a very strong program for running at that point. So the coach had just been coming in Kevin Donner. I was his first recruiting class. So he, you know, once I actually like selected the school, he came out and saw my, you know, saw some of my, you know, what I'd been doing. So was obviously very excited because I was one of the faster runners coming in. So, um, so I wasn't necessarily recruited. Um, and I wasn't necessarily, you know, an all-star here in high school either. I mean, I had a five seventeen PR for the mile. Um, I was just doing it cause it was something that, um, kept me busy. <laughs> um, but I can't really say it was a super focus of mine, even through college. Um, it was just something I felt like, I, I guess I feel like looking back retrospectively, it was something I did because I was relatively good at and it kept me busy. Interesting. So you, I know that's a lot of times it's a chicken and egg thing, but being good at it and having an interest mm-hmm. in Oftentimes we have an interest in things that we're good at, but then at the same time, we're good at things that we have an interest in. Yes. And then kind of around and around you go. So even in college, you mentioned like you weren't, it wasn't like this diehard thing for you, which is fairly abnormal, especially for someone who has now reached the height that you're at. Because as you know, being a college athlete is quite demanding, especially for someone who's in a, you know, in a, in a demanding major or program during yes. college. So when you were going through St. Francis and going through your, going through the curriculum, did you have any particular goals attached to your running? Not necessarily. Uh, so I guess for me running, like I never put a lot of pressure on and maybe because I didn't, I didn't love it. Like I love it now, if that makes sense. Um, like I said, it was more just because it was something to do. Like I had a small scholarship, so keep the scholarship. Um, I wouldn't say I didn't have a drive because I was competitive always. Uh, but again, I didn't put any effort into it, if that makes sense, any extra effort into it. I did, I guess, what my little bit of natural talent was, but I never dug deep, stayed consistent, um, had that drive that I have now. Uh, so for me, it was, um, there was no real goals ever. Um, you know, like, would it be like, oh, to win NEC championships cross country? I never put those goals out there. So they weren't there ever. So and NEC is the is a, is the conference that the, the Saint Francis yes, is in. Yes, Northeast Conference. I believe they are still in it too. So Northeast Conference, correct? So. Yeah. As a Rhode Island native, I'm probably one of the few people who even know what the NEC conference is <laughs> because I I do catch some of the basketball games in the NEC conference okay. every once in a while. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's not, not exactly loaded with top tier athletes in any sport. No. Which brings me to then post college, you're. At this point, as you mentioned, like running wasn't this this love that you'd had, mm-hmm. um, you know, in high school and in college. So, what was your relationship with running once you graduated? So, I actually didn't graduate from St. Francis. Um, I had uh, my fourth year. It was uh, phys- my it was pretty much primarily all physical therapy school at that point. You did all of your undergrad in the first three years. I struggled. I realized it wasn't for me. I had a death in the family. My brother, my stepbrother passed away unexpectedly at 21. All this kind of added up to the fact that I decided I wanted to leave. So I actually left there my senior year after cross country. Um, I stopped running completely. So that was age 21. Um, Went back to 
nursing school as for my RN, like, a, you know, the next year as a, with a two-year degree. So primarily from 21 to 30, I rarely ran. Um, I ended up uh, having three kids, marriage, three kids, um, my nursing career, and I didn't start running until my youngest son, who is now 12, uh, sorry, 12, yes, when he was two, I started running again. Wow. So, tw- so goodbye 20. Yes, goodbye 20. From a running perspective. <laughs> now, were you doing anything to stay fit at all? I would say no. I mean, intermittently, maybe a run here and there, but no. I Those years were a blur. I had three kids in three and a half years. Uh, like I said, two houses, marriage. So there wasn't a lot of running, <laughs> if any. <laughs> no, absolutely. That is that is a busy, busy life. That's for sure. And, yeah. and um, with that said, knowing what we know now, what happened in your 30s, did you ever have a pining for for that, that active lifestyle that you used to have? Obviously, you know, it, it sounds like it wasn't, it was just a hurdle that was too high to cross considering all your time constraints and everything that you mm-hmm. were doing. But did you ever have like any nostalgic or wistful moments of trying to get back into it? In this moment, in my 20s, when I was doing all that, not necessarily. I think when I left St. Francis, I was pretty much done. Like I had a conversation to me, I guess when I was running, can we go back a few seconds? I like the team aspect of it. I know they say running and cross country and track isn't primarily a team, but for me, it fulfilled me whenever I was scoring points or doing well for the team. When I left there, I felt like there was nothing there. Like, you know, Oh, you know, I'm going to run for myself. Well, I don't really, I guess I really, at that point felt like I didn't really love running or like it, you know, it was just something I did because it helped out the team primarily. So no, I don't think I missed it or thought about it. Or people ask me now, like, Oh, what if you ran competitively when you were 20, how would, do you think that you could, uh, you know, be more successful or have, and I'm like, no, I don't think that's where I was meant to be. Like, I think this was my road or path, you know, it was taking a break and then bringing it back into my life and really loving it, passion, a drive, determination, which I didn't have. I don't know if that's just growing up and being an adult or my path, you know? <laughs> so Right. That's exactly right. And I think it's, it's easy to understand why someone would ask you that question of, mm-hmm. you know, the what if question, right? Mm-hmm. What if you had run in your twenties, but it's in as, as logical as that is considering that that's not the path that most take it's hard to imagine things could have gone a whole lot better than yeah. where you are now you're one of eight women that have the olympic standard in, in the u.s you run a 229 you're one of three people in history uh sorry in u.s history yeah. who'd be age 40 or over to break 230 so i think your your resume pretty much speaks for itself yeah. now having to play the what if game too much yeah no i think it does too but again yeah there are a lot of what ifs but uh but no i didn't really pine for it ever in my 20s um but when i was ready i was ready <laughs> well then let's talk about that moment so was it a like a, was it like a lightning flash or was it like a like a evolution over a period of time you know during when your son was two i think it was a little over a period of time i would say from from 20, 2009 to 2011, it was really just like um, I wanted to be active and fit. You know, we go through these moments in our life, and I was like, you know, I'm really focusing on my kids. I love my kids, but I feel like I need just 10 minutes or 15 minutes to go on the elliptical or do something for me to feel like, you know, me again. Like, so it started with that. Well, it started with finding something that I would enjoy doing again. And I'm not crafty. I don't read, I, I read books and cook, but like, there's no craftiness in me. Like, I don't want to do, join a book club. So I was like, what do I like to do? I like to run. So I just started again. And I had a coworker at the time that asked me to, um, 
trained for her with her for a half marathon in Pittsburgh. So I lived in Pittsburgh at the time. So we wouldn't train together, but we would, we were nurses on the same floor. So we would like talk about it. And then we ran the Pittsburgh half marathon. And that was kind of my first real, you know, experience with, wow, I like this, you know, I want to do more. I ran like a one thirty one, but it was just this, like, you know, I want to do this again. And, uh, and then I ended up meeting some local people. Um, and that's where they kind of jumped on the bandwagon. They said, Hey, we're doing Chicago 2011. Why don't you run it with us? There's like 10 of us going. And I said, sure, why not? So that was kind of where like the marathon came in. It was people saying they were doing it. And I thought, well, it would be fun to try it and run with a group of people. Why not? So that's where we started. The team effect mm-hmm. back in action after about a decade off. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, so when you got back into that initial half marathon, you run a 131, which is a great time for, you know, for, for a lot of people out there, you know, that sub seven minute pace mm-hmm. and coming off the, the lack of training that you'd mm-hmm. previously had, what do you chalk that up to, um, you know, being able to run at that pace, considering your, your lack of buildup or lack of training? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if, do we all say that we think it's something genetic possibly, I don't know. I mean, I think there's also this inner drive once I am running, like that just kind of kicks in, you know, where I think some of us, we all probably have it where you just keep going, you know, keep pushing to the limit of where, you know, it hurts really bad. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, so, you know, I think, you know, there was part of like, cause I have a history. I ran from seventh grade to, you know, I ran from 12 to 21, basically, you know, you, you almost just like, it's, you just get back on the horse a little bit, you know, and go. So, um, but I definitely, you know, I think my first marathon in 2011 in Chicago was definitely the, after that, I was like, well, I want to do this again because I qualified for Boston. I said, well, heck I may never qualify again. So I better go to Boston in 2013. So, you know, that was like, you know, just one after another after that. So I wouldn't say one after another, because at that time I was only running one every year to year and a half because small kids, you know, you can't, you can't manage a lot when you have tiny children, you know, to be committed to running and working, you know, running a lot of miles. So that's very true. I'm living that life right now. I'm no elite runner, but I have a, I have a four and a seven year old yes. and I have a full time job. <laughs> and I, they, hey, I know exactly what you mean. My runs come, you know, before they wake up. Yes. Which I know that you're a morning runner too. It's like you got to like every minute is like gold. Well, when I'm marathon training for a big goal race, yes. I mean, right now, I since Rotterdam, I have really been lax on like I I sleep in. Oh, no, sleep in. I get up at six. We get the kids to school, and I'm fortunate right now that I moved my I relocated my job so it's closer to home. So I have an hour window in between dropping the kids off at school and work. So I usually run my hour then. And then, you know, do the good old thing. You go to work and you use baby wipes, but (laughs) you do what you got to do because I think sleep is more valuable right now. Like sleep, rest, mentally relaxing after a marathon before the next one, before you have to really grind and get those early morning runs in and all those limited space, you know, because like you said, we as parents have limited time. I got to do it before they get up and I don't do it in the evening when I have them. So, you know, I have them, it's dinner, it's running around, it's doing our family time at night. So yeah, I mean, you have it pretty dialed in now um, with your with your routine and your kids being a little older now. Was it 12, 13, yes. 15? Yes. And so obviously they don't they can be a little bit more yep. independent yes. um, at times. And also, you know, with that it being dialed in now, oftentimes that's the result of trial and error at other points. So what, what have you learned 
in the last eight years or so to, you know, just in terms of scheduling and balancing and your own training that has allowed you to have it completely dialed in now? Well, I mean, yeah, it just takes a lot some work. So probably at times I thought I could try to get a run in the evening, let's say after dinner, you know, or I found that morning, probably like you feel when they're sleeping or when you know that you can get it done. And then something always happens throughout the day, right? Like work, something may come up in the evening, a kid might get sick, whatever it may be. So, you know, generally I know that early morning is safe for the most part. And then there's just sometimes where life happens and you don't get the run in. And I've learned not to stress about it because it is what it is. <laughs> like you can't control factors like children being sick. Um, and I'm a, you know, I'm a divorced mother. I have, when I have my children, I'm with them by myself. So I have to, you know, factor those things in too. So. Yeah. And how has your recovery um, shifted and evolved over time? Meaning after a marathon? No, I guess meaning just like just from a day-to-day perspective, whether it's, you know, sleep or, you know, various methods that people use to recover. Yeah. So sleep actually has become a primary focus for me over the last probably six months to a year. Um, So I primarily, when my children go to bed at like 9.15, 9.30, I go to bed right afterwards. Um, So I put whatever aside, no more, you know, cleaning can go, you know, next day or whatever it may be. Um, I really feel that I need eight hours of sleep at night. So with getting up early, I have to be in bed by between 9.30 and 10, you know, to get roughly the eight hours of sleep. Um, So recovery for me, that's like my goal recovery there. Um, When it comes to like recovery, like running each day or taking a day off, that's really all on feel. I generally like for Rotterdam only took two days off the whole training cycle. Um, so, you know, I think it just depends on the person itself and how you're feeling. I listen to my body, but I primarily run almost every day. But my easy days are, you know, I only do two workouts a week. So I'm not, I'm not pounding the pavement like some of the probably the younger women do. If you're listening to this, then you love listening to podcasts and music. And let me tell you about a company called Aftershocks. Aftershocks is the award-winning headphone brand best known for its ear-opening listening experience. Powered by patented best-in-class bone conduction technology, Aftershocks headphones sit outside your ear so you can hear your music and your surroundings at the same time. Aftershocks is a must-have headphone for runners providing them the ultimate level of safety and comfort without compromising sound quality, and that's a big one. You know, you want to be able to hear what you're listening to. That's the whole point in the first place. So to learn more and to save $50 on Aftershocks Endurance Bundles, visit olympictrials.aftershocks.com. Again, Aftershocks is great, and one of the things I love about them is the all-day comfort. Right. If you're going on a long run or even shoot, even if you're a, a bike rider, you're going on one of those four or five mile rides. Aftershocks is huge because you can hear the cars coming, but you also have that all day comfort, which you don't necessarily get with earbuds. And for me, a lot of earbuds, once I, once I start sweating, they just fall right out of my ear. That is not what you're looking for, and that is not what Aftershocks will do to you either because it sits outside your ear and provides you with that high-quality audio experience you're looking for. So get $50 off. Again, on the Aftershocks Endurance Bundle, visit olympictrials.aftershocks.com. All right, so let's go. Let's go into your weekly routine mm-hmm. because all right. So you do two workouts per week. What do those traditionally look like? 
So we can back it up a little bit. So I changed coaches in uh, in January. So I now work with Steve Magnus. So it's a little bit new to me. Um, But it's still, like I said, two workouts a week. I would say one workout midweek is usually Wednesday. And that can be anything from if I'm marathon training, you know, uh, like a tempo or the marathon, a marathon pace and then faster, we could do like, you know, um, it would be like, uh, two miles at uh, a little bit slower marathon pace and then two miles faster and two miles slower. So we're looking at like somewhere from like 12 to 15 miles midweek. Um, and then sometimes you would mix it up with some track or some speed. Um, so it just depends. And then weekends will either be a Saturday hard workout Um, again, longer distance stuff. Um, and then Sunday long run easy up to 20 to 22 miles or the workout will be built into my long run. So then it could be something like a, you know, eight mile, uh, progression tempo at with, you know, 20 miles total total. Okay. So how often in Rotterdam build up, did Mm -hmm. you do the double header weekend versus just the one big long day workout? I would say it's every other week. So if we did like a 12 week build up, I would say there was five, five of those where I was putting in, let's say 15 miles one day and then 20 the next. And if you were doing the double header weekend, mm-hmm. so the Sunday run would be a long run. How fast would you run that? You know what? Uh, because my normal pace, my normal easy pace can get sub seven minute, um, it would just depend generally anywhere from like six fifties to seven fifteen pace generally. Okay. And how has your, your approach to easy days evolved if at all over the past few years? Um, so easy days to me, I just go out. Um, generally they are eight miles at minimum, sometimes a little less. And I just let my body, you know, ease into it. Um, and then I, like I said, they're generally in the, in the, anywhere from six fifties, six forty fives to seven minute, seven ten. It just depends. Like sometimes I run with people. If I run with people, it's kind of good because you talk, you, you might not necessarily run as fast as you do when you run alone. So. <laughs> right. And you basically, you're kind of time limited too, right? And you have about an hour to play with. I have an hour and then I do on, so once I start marathon building, um, I will run a double. So I have the luxury at work to go out for at least 30 to 45 more minutes. So I can do two work two runs. How do you put those into the schedule with your workout day being a Wednesday? Do you try to do them on all your non-workout days or, or how would you try to get those in? Not necessarily. Sometimes with a workout day, I could, if I do the workout in the morning, I would then put in a couple miles in the evening. Uh, so that it just depends. So Steve gives me the luxury. He gives me the workouts. He gives me the mileage for the week and he lets me do how I please with the mileage the rest of the week. So it's really up to me. Um, if he sees something, you know, he always told me like this cycle, if he saw something he didn't think was good, he would let me know. So, so far, so good. I've been, uh, doing everything I think. Okay. So I do like that flexibility because it doesn't put a lot of pressure on me to, let's say one morning I have to hammer in like 75 minute run before work. And what if I, you know, don't have that so I can break it up. So therefore it's kind of nice. I I feel like that works with my lifestyle, especially with having children in a full-time job. Right. Yeah. You really have to build in the flexibility there. Yeah, that's for sure. So what is your communication like with Steve? So he's down in Houston Correct. So, and you're in, you're in New Jersey. Correct. So where, what is the communication like, um, not only regarding your schedule, but just informal contact? Yeah. It's usually text. 
don't we all text uh, we talk on the phone when needed not too often because i'm not i mean when you have a coach that's long distance you, you can't like he said we can't hold hand, you know he can't hold my hand i have to be able to communicate with him openly about something i'm feeling or injury so if i feel i need to talk to him i'll say hey can we talk when we talk otherwise it's texting and then workouts we get sent through final surge program so I have like the app and everything so I can see my workouts that way. And then all my Garmin data is downloaded so he can see everything from heart rate to cadence to splits. So um, it's a nice feature we have. How much, how does he schedule you in terms of like what you're able to see? Like how far out do you know like what your workouts will be? You know what? I'm <laughs> it was primarily weekly, but I've noticed recently, like I will click on the like the month of June. I was like, oh, next week's like the next two weeks are available. So I think it just depends. One to two weeks. I was so used to with my old coach also it being weekly, I would get everything on Sunday nights. So I generally just and for me, I also don't really know if I really want to know too far ahead. I'd rather just kind of know a week in advance because I don't want to stress about my workouts, which with Steve, I haven't stressed a whole much about, but you know, like, you know how it goes when you get into like the actual grind of it. I don't want to think about it for a week. Oh, I have that really hard workout coming up next week. So (laughs) (laughs) I know I I played that game too, right? You want to look because you're curious. And then after you look, you're like, Oh, good grief. Why did I look at that? I don't want to dwell on this for days. (laughs) I know, right? Because we all have those kinds of runs that we like, or we, we, we have preferences, and yes. then maybe challenges or, or whatever. For me, it's um, the track. I, oh, I mean, I'm learning. I'm trying to embrace the track, and I've only had like two track workouts because we started in January, so winter in New Jersey, there's usually no track until April. You know, March, April, just depends. So, um, but I had a track workout last week, and it was a short one, but it was still like I have to learn to embrace this. I'm such a road runner, like you know. But it's good for you. So, and now when you think of the when you think of a track workout, and like all of a sudden that bile forms in the back of your throat, and you're like, <laughs> oh, I don't like that. Like what 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 distances are you picturing when you think Ooh. of a track workout you don't like? So thousands. Oh, okay. Yeah thousands or higher i mean i wouldn't say higher because but i think a thousand is something where you can you have to like if they make it the hard workout it's something that's pretty fast for a decent distance right so usually a mile it can be tempo-ish but thousands definitely <laughs> right because if you're pushing them hard enough and enough of them you, you can start getting a little anaerobic yes that makes a lot of yeah. sense so when you do Again, this might be a little too specific without you looking at your, your training plan right in front of you. But when, say, you're doing a track workout, which, I mean, you don't, you've only done two of them. But say you're going to do some more of the quicker, faster, shorter stuff. How much distance of that is usually in a workout? Like, I mean, obviously, you have, you have your, your warm-up, your cool-down, and your space between reps and sets. But say, how much distance do you have at the faster speeds yeah. if you're doing some of the shorter, quicker stuff? So, like I said, with Steve, we've only been working together since January. So, it's like, I think this last set was only – so it was six, four, 13, 13 times three. What is that? I don't even know. 13. Not even, like – it was like two miles or so. Um, so that's what we did. Like right now, like I said, we're kind of in between season, you know, we're not really marathon training again yet. So, um, and I also been racing a bit like, and the racing isn't necessarily like all out racing. Cause I have no goal races this spring and summer, but because I run for a New York team, I would like to put in my team races and things. So, uh, we've been kind of sprinkling in like races, but they're not necessarily all out. So the workouts during midweek right now, are not at the like highest level. You know, I think they're almost just like get a little bit of quick turnover, 
get my legs back to some speed, but we're not going to kill the legs because we also have a race on Saturday. So, Right, right. And then, so you, you really broke out um, back in 2016. Mm-hmm. Was, it, was it the Mohawk Marathon? Yes. You ran 237 and won it. And then CIM followed up uh, sixth overall. And then after that, in 2018, you followed that up with, was it 231 at New York? Yeah. So C- yes. So CIM, I was second actually overall. I ran, oh, sorry, that was, sorry. it's okay, but I was, I ran a, so that was my big breakout race. I mean, because I went from a 236 in Boston the year or the spring before to a 230, 30 something. I don't know my exact times and people might think that's funny, but I don't pay attention to exact times. Um, so that was my big breakout 2017 CIM. I was second overall. And then New York in 2018, this past fall i ran i was 12th overall with a 23101 i do remember that so yeah and i heard you talking to carrie tollison and you saying that you really even though it wasn't technically a pr that you really viewed that new york race as a pr considering how challenging that course is yes correct i mean you know there all different courses have different advantages but after 2017 um I had two asterisks beside my names for both races I ran in 2017. They ne- they're not IAAF like qualified races. So I said in 2018, I was going to make it a little challenging and at least do, I uh, wanted courses that, you know, qualified. So New York, you know, being somewhat of a hometown uh, race, I knew I had to come out and do New York. So, and then, like I said, I, I, my goal was to, to break 230. Um, I felt like I was in that shape at that point, but that course is very challenging. Um, so, you know, very happy with, like I said, yeah, only being 20 plus seconds off my PR at that time. And were you 12th? 12th, 12th American, yeah. correct. Or 12th, 12th overall. American. 12th overall, 6th American. Got it. Yeah, that's what I thought. So, again, again, that is, you know, a really high-level race. And you really kicked butt in that. And then you, you obviously were feeling good coming into the new year. And when you, when Rotterdam was put on your calendar or on your schedule, what were some of your goals surrounding that race? So some of the goals, um, well, prim- I think, you know, breaking 230 was a big deal, um, but I had a higher goal. It's a very, you know, goals are only, meant, you know, records are meant to be broken and goals are just, it's fun to have a goal and it may be never obtainable, but it was to uh, maybe attempt the American record for my age, my age group. Cause now that I'm a master's runner, um, which is a two twenty seven forty seven, which, you know, it was a little daunting. It was three plus minutes off my, my personal best at that point, but you know, you have to, uh, put it out there and go for it. And I felt like to this point in my marathon career, I never put a time or a goal in that sense. It was always just like, Oh, let's just go see what I can do. So. So when you, and I, I loved hearing this about some of your, how you, how you visualize goals? Uh-huh. Can you write them up? Is yes. it is in the mirror on your bathroom? <laughs> yes, it is, it is in my bathroom on a mirror. Yes, it's on a, uh, it's on a piece of paper in red, but I can look at it daily with my goal and some quotes by Muhammad Ali. So, um, yeah, just because when you know you just got to look, look at it daily. You know, like I said, it may never happen, but it's going to be fun trying. So, so what was the genesis of this of this method? Meaning the mic writing it up on the, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. When, when did this start for you? I think we started, ta- my old coach and I started talking about the record probably after CIM, but at that point I was like, no way. Like, you know, um, after New York, I got a little more fired up. Um, like I said, I, 
I think one day, you know, after you have a really good race, you're just like, there's still more, like there's still more. And why not? Like I said, I never really, even for New York, I only put, I said sub two thirty, but I always was like, but if I do this, if I'm this, I'll be happy with that. And I don't want to, I want to shoot for something, right? I want, I want a number. So why not? So I think after New York, maybe it was like maybe three weeks after New York, I sat down and I wrote it down. And so this is my goal for 2019 to be the American record holder. That is awesome. I know. So so it says Dina Castor who holds that mark. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's obviously that's a huge goal. And it's, and that's, you know, it's really fun to talk to talk talk about this with you because now you have these dual goals that you have mm-hmm. over the next ten months or so, right? Mm-hmm. So you have Atlanta, which is obviously out there as a huge goal for you that you'd be working towards. You have, yes. you know, Dina's mark two twenty seven that yeah. you want to get, and then also as was just announced fairly recently, you're going to be running the World Championships for the U.S. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, so what is what is that process like getting put on that? Okay. Team? Oh, that process. Oh, that was, I mean, I think, I don't know, you know, you probably are aware, like it's based off of your times for the year. Right. So I don't know if it's the year or if it's IAAF standards. So, uh, generally, I mean, for me, it was an email that came out, just an email saying you're selected. And, uh, it was mid May I found out. Um, and I knew, I knew like I had a little discussion with a few people secretly, um, about it. And, I knew that if it was presented to me that I had, I wanted to take it. I want to represent our country. Um, Again, I think sometimes I don't like to play my age number, but I don't know if it will be there in two years. I will be 43 at the time. And how can I not? My kids, this is what I do for them. I want them to see what can happen if you put your, you know, your mind to something or just, just being focused on something. doesn't mean you'll, you'll represent your country in something, but showing that you stay consistent and you drive, you never know what you're going to get. So I, I just couldn't pass this up. So it was, um, and in the, in the, you know, and with doing that, I may be putting things like attempting to break an American record aside till 2020. So that's kind of where we're at right now. Or you could just do it there. I could. You know I mean? Why don't you do two birds with one stone, Roberta? <laughs> I mean, you never know, but when I'm talking about wearing cooling vest before the race, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I heard, I heard it's pretty hot in Cutter. Yeah, uh, yes. So. Yeah, exactly. So that that's going to be the first week of October, right? Uh, I know that, that, that that's the what's it? I got the dates right no, here. No, but it's September twenty eighth to tenth yeah. to October sixth. So our race is the first day. So we're September twenty seventh. Okay. Well, it's September twenty seventh, but it's eleven fifty nine p.m. going into midnight. So it's technically September twenty eighth. Oh. Yes. Oh, all right. Just 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 a little midnight run. Yeah, just a midnight run in Qatar. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's awesome. So. Were you, what is it going to be like for you getting ready for that race just from a heat perspective? Obviously, in the summer in the Northeast, it's, it's you know, shoot, it's hot enough. Yes. You don't need that. You don't need prep there. Obviously, this is going to be the end of September. So are you going to have to do anything special to get ready for that? You know, I haven't really, you know, we've been getting some tidbits of information. I do have an article on heat acclimation. Uh, but I will try to do a lot of runs, you know, if I can, it's going to be hard to do a midday run, right? I work Monday through Friday, but even let's say I take my weekend runs and, and sacrifice a few of my mid afternoons for, you know, a workout just to kind of get used to it. Um, but like I said, we were like, I'm lucky enough that, you know, we are looking at in the summer in the Northeast. So humidity and heat, um, we usually have, um, and then I mean, there are taught, I know there's some camps that take you out maybe a week before, um, 
I, you know, my situation is a little different having children in a full-time job. So I haven't really decided if that's something I could, you know, can or want to do um, for the championship. Maybe you'll have to just take the exercise bike or treadmill into the sauna. <laughs> to get ready for it i feel like this is something that ultra marathoners have to worry about all the time especially when they're out you know running these these wild like through the desert races yes i know yeah it's not necessarily something i've thought of i mean i think the i was trying to think back to like a hot marathon and honestly rotterdam was probably getting and rotterdam and a few bostons but some of these boston marathons that were a little bit like in the 70s i just kind of pulled back i wasn't at the level i'm at now and i just did them with people for fun more or less like hey let's get through this um but rotterdam you know was like mid 60s but not it's not 70s to 80s so <laughs> we will yeah, see that's how it a goes. whole different world <laughs> yeah that's yes. for sure all right so as we progress through the year, we're going to talk plenty of more, um, yes. you know, around big races and different, different parts of your training and things like that. But just looking at the next 10 months, generally speaking, um, just what do your view as some of your strengths as a runner, some of your weaknesses and some of the things that you're going to be working hard to improve upon? Um, so strengths, I think is consistency. Um, I generally, I'm going to go, I'm going to put in my miles. Um, I'm going to put it in. Um, I, like I said, I only, I only took two days off towards Rotterdam. So I feel like I have a nice base, even leading up to the marathon training. Uh, we already talking about, you know, for me, I can't get quite into like the one tens, one twenties, some other pros do just because of time. And I don't even know if at my age, it's really good. Um, so we like to stay in the 95 range. Uh, so that's something, you know, I, I really feel works for me. Um, and that I'm flexible too. Like I'm flexible in the sense that if it doesn't happen, I don't stress. And I also think a strength of mine is if I have a bad workout, a bad race, I let it go, you know, within a few hours and just move on to the next one. I don't think about it consistently or constantly like, oh, is something happening or I'm not going to be in top shape. Uh, so that's kind of the strengths. Some of my weaknesses, I think, are primarily time limited. I don't have enough time in the day. <laughs> So things that I really am going to try to focus still even more on is a little bit of core, a little bit of strength, uh, stretching, massages, PT. I mean, it's all building it in, but I can't guarantee it's always going to happen. So, but I do want to try consistently to get more of that in because it's something I, every cycle I say I'm going to do. And I'm really good at the beginning, but towards the end, there's always something going on. Kids function, me doing this, or it's 930 at night and I chose sleep. And sometimes sleep is most important. So that's um, something I'm looking, you know, that I like to focus more on, but it can be a weakness. So, and then what was the last thing? Yeah. So how about, what are some of the things that you're trying to focus on from an improvement perspective, specifically with your running? Like I said, probably more, I guess when you say more running, I don't know. Like, I think for me and Steve, it's learning. Like we're still learning, you know, this first cycle was him knowing me. And I feel like there's now that we have a better understanding of each other, um, it'll be getting, I'm thinking more intense workouts or more, you know, some, some more volume. Uh, but I feel like for me, like, I, I think that my running part, I'm not saying I, I know that it's perfect because it's not perfect. I think it's pretty good. I don't want to change a whole lot with it. I think for me, it's doing the other things. Uh, like I said, more core, more strength, um, sleep, nutrition, you know, nutrition's nutrition. I think as a runner, I just, I mean, I eat, rel I eat relatively healthy, so I don't think there's a whole lot more I can do. <laughs> yeah. And 
as you go through this, you know, mm-hmm. your, your kids are at an age where they can, you know, if they want to, they can really have a good understanding of what's happening with your yes. life and with your career. And this is definitely an exciting thing. You know, most of the people who you're going to be run against, running against in Atlanta, their kids, you know, they might not have a clear recollection of their parents as they go through this process or when they're at the Olympic trials. Your kids are old enough to have a, have a full grasp of this. Yeah. So how excited are they about the prospect of all the things that you're working towards? Oh, I, you know, very excited. Um, you know, we've been talking, I think, since CIM when I qualified well, I guess I qualified in Boston, but CIM was a big race. Um, they right away, you know, I had told them when I qualified for the trials, they were going to get to come, you know, so they've been talking about the trials forever. And then when the process of which courses were being chosen for the trials, they were all had their opinions on where they wanted to go, which course and this and that. So they, you know, over the last year, year and a half, they've become very involved with this process. And uh, I think very supportive and very understanding and, you know, they'll say things to me like, I, I don't know if you heard, I mean, so I, there's been talks of altitude training. Um, that is the one thing I feel like I haven't got a chance to do or, you know, that others do. So we are thinking about maybe finding a way to get out sometime before the trials to do altitude training for four to five weeks. But with that, you know, comes the sense that I won't see my children for four to five weeks. And they were all like, listen, mom, this is once in a lifetime. You may not ever do this again. Why wouldn't you? It's only four weeks. It's not our life forever. So they were very supportive and, you know, very understanding and wanting me to do something, you know, that is a goal of mine. And when would that occur, the altitude training? Would that be in preparation for Atlanta or preparation for something you're doing in the fall? No, it would be for Atlanta. So it would probably be sometime, you know, um, January to February. If I just, if I can do it. So, right. All right. Last question before we get going. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Um, When you were, you, when you and Steve were talking about the fall Uh and trying to make sure you obviously you have a couple, not not competing goals, but you have a couple of different goals, right? You have Dina's, you have Dina's Mm -hmm. record that you're going after and you're preparing for Atlanta. What was some of the thinking about the best way to prepare yourself uh, for that in regards to, you know, running marathons or other races in the fall for preparation? So maybe because I'm older, I feel like I, I not that like there's no opinions by all, but I feel like I kind of set my own path. <laughs> if that's, I don't know if that's the right or wrong answer, but, um, hey, of course it's the right answer is what you're doing. Yeah. yeah so I set my own path. Um, and you know, I asked for advice and what, what he may think or do, but I think when worlds came up, it kind of changed a little bit of the plans. Um, and therefore for me, like I said, when asked to represent my country, there was no, no, it was a yes. So if I may never get the record for Dana's record or never attempt to get it again, you know what? I, I couldn't pass up this opportunity per se. So really, I, I think that there's not like, we talked about things after Rotterdam, like maybe Chicago, you know, maybe, maybe New York, maybe this, maybe that, like there was lots of talks. Right. Um, but then as things evolve, you know, things change and your plans change. So, um, and then, you know, there's feedback and then there's also me saying, this is what I want to do. And then everybody kind of gets on board. <laughs> there you go. So in your mind, in your mind, you are always going to be running, running a marathon in the fall, no matter what, you know, um, yes. 
more than likely. Yes, there was going to be a marathon in the fall. I know, like I have the A standard and, you know, why run a marathon in the fall? Um, for me, it's what I love to do. And I feel like, you know, I can still do these things and be fit for the trials. Yeah, I mean, it's such a personal question because for every person like you who's going through this process, it's all going to be individualized. Yes. You know, everyone's going to have different motivations, different factors, and just their own how they feel. And, uh, yeah, everyone's going to approach the fall differently. It's going to be really captivating. I talked to Mario Fraioli about this two months ago on the, on my Rambling Runner podcast, and he was so excited to see exactly how people were going to try to map out the year, you know, whether it's someone like you who already has the Olympic standard or maybe someone who is gunning for the Olympic standard but also feels confident that they could be top three. Yes. And, you know, and, and really compete for that. So they want to prepare themselves not only for the standard but also be fully rested for Atlanta. Correct. Yeah. I mean, everybody has different, um, I'm sure. I mean, for me, honestly, like the trials is very important. Uh, if I would love, to, I'm going to go out and compete at that day and whatever may happen, happen. I think I am a little bit of a long shot, but again, I'm not going to think that when I step to the line, you know what I mean? Like, cause you don't know what's going to happen in that day, in that moment, um, at any race. So, uh, I just know that I, you know, for me, opportunities arise, I'm going to take what I feel in my gut and core is the best thing for me. I love it. Thank you, Roberta. I really appreciate it. You're welcome, Matt. All right. Talk to you later this summer. All right. Sounds great. Thanks. Thank you, Roberta, for coming on the show and for being part of this project. This was a great episode. I couldn't wait to talk to Roberta because she is someone who I've been following for quite a while. And considering her shoot amazing journey and story and everything she's doing, uh, she really is a motivational runner for people of all levels. And it was certainly a blast to talk with her. So next episode, episode number three is with Lou Serafini. Episode number four next week is with Kellen Taylor. You're going to love both those episodes. That's for sure. Thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of the Rambling Runner Podcast Network. Thank you to my producer, David Margetti from InPost Media. Also, thank you to Metapi for the music and his song, Evolution. Deep. I'm a real person.